0: You're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money Podcast, the show that brings you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shelleck and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Welcome to the next installment of Bare Naked Money. Josh and I are going to take on the topic of do it yourself stuff this week or this month. Not today. Do, Do it
1: yourself. Everything, Colin, or I think we're going to be a little bit more focused than that, right?
0: Okay. Within the financial world. Point taken. I'm glad you're here to keep me in line. Thank you. Yep. Yep.
1: Sounds good. No problem. That's what I'm here for. So one of the things we're going to do is to highlight some of the do-it-yourself areas where, you know, it may be worthwhile to go down that path and some of the pitfalls or trouble that you may find yourself in if you're doing uh, a little bit too much do-it-yourself.
0: And when Josh and I were preparing to have this conversation, we talked about our personal inherent biases and the fact that you know we're advice givers therefore we're biased and of course my question is when do you stop being biased and just start being right so you know we'll explore that and you know obviously you're listening to people who give advice so you can you know take this with a grain of salt but we'll we'll set forth a little bit of a case and some examples as to uh, what you can and can't get away with on the do-it-yourself side and where it does and maybe does not work
1: yeah i like the plumber analogy colin if my toilet is leaky I can look at it a couple of ways. I can try to do it myself. I'm not that handy. That might end up poorly. I could call my buddy from down the street, have him come over. You and I can uh, try to mix it up and, and figure something out. At some point, we may just want to call a plumber. And that plumber, he's the professional. He's not going to screw it up. He's not going to cause a bigger problem or a leak down to our neighbor's condo or anything like that. So you have the options that are out there uh, for something really simple, you know fixing the float in the in the toilet, yeah, maybe I can do it myself, but something where I may screw it up and cause a bigger problem, yeah, professional advice sometimes.
0: Well, I think you raise a good point, Josh, because it really depends on the magnitude. And if it's a matter of picking one bank account over another bank account, the magnitude of that choice probably is it should not be that significant. But when you get to putting, you know, your financial future, you know, to risk, then, you know, maybe you need to give it a bit more get more attention. As a good buddy of mine says, nobody pretends to be an underwater welder. You know, when the the magnitude of messing it up is going to be dire, that indicates maybe you do need to have some professional advice. And you and I both stumbled across, you know, one institution this week who were uh, trying to convince people that that they should be able to to do it themselves,
1: right? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, one that I think a lot of the do-it-yourselfers out there are aware of well simple and we don't really want to pick specifically on well simple we've picked on these other do-it-yourself type of platforms before I think well simple does a lot of things very very well and a lot of things that we're envious of actually uh, in terms of the simplicity and making things work for people that's that's uh, really tremendous what you had asked me about earlier this week was you saw that well simple was was promoting or advertising the most traded stocks in their platform and showing the three-month rate of return of those stocks. What could possibly go wrong?
0: <laughs> well, see, you, know, you and I both know, and and, and well, I guess most people would realize it when point pointed out to them, we love lists. Here are the three foods you need to eat right now. Here are the five relationship keys to success. You know, Whenever somebody puts a number on thing, and puts it, all of a sudden it becomes a thing. It's like, ooh, I can, I can take in three things. I can understand five things. So, well, simple, being smart. And you're right, Josh. We've, we've talked with them. You know, Some of the stuff they're doing is spectacular. They're not dumb people. So, when they came forward with this, yeah, this is how you get attention. Putting out names, lists of stock names with a data point, you know, with, ooh, maybe I can do that. Or, ooh, that one looks good. Ooh, I bet you that will do it again. But again, it's they've gone to the zero commission model, and they're starting. You know, they're trying to generate a whole bunch of activity, and in order to do that, they need to generate some confidence and give people some ideas. So they're giving people exactly what they want. Here's a list of very popular stocks in our platform. Ooh, you like batteries? Here are the top five battery technology stocks traded on our platform. You know, so they're they're trying to tailor it, and again, it's very successful from a marketing perspective to get people interested in doing stuff but how effective is it at having people accomplish any of their financial goals? And this goes back to, do I have a leaky toilet or do I have a life-imperiling situation I need to manage, right? Now, if this is, you're having a little bit of fun around the edges for entertainment's sake, sure, knock yourself out. But if you're gonna bet your kid's education on it, maybe not, maybe that doesn't make so, so much sense. You saw them actually promoting a different service, which I even found a little bit more intriguing.
1: Yeah. Okay. But before I get into that, I want to talk about this list because I think there are a couple things that are are really important to to mention here. So first, most assets that you can invest in, they're, they're priced based off of supply and demand. So if the demand is really high for something, if you find that a lot of people are out there buying it, like a GameStop, for example, then the price is going to go up. And sometimes that's justified, other times it's not. But if you're looking at a list and you're deciding that I want to buy this thing because other people have bought it, first of all, I don't trust other people that much. Um, Maybe I'm a cynic, but you know, I've I've been around enough people to know that I'm just not going to blindly trust the uh, the stranger down the street, especially with my financial decisions. Uh, But if you're buying based off this list of sort of the the most popular stocks and stocks are priced based off of supply and demand the demand is high that means the price is high of these things already so if you're trying to follow some type of buy low sell high approach which is kind of the key to making money it seems to fly a little bit in the face of that don't you think
0: oh no no absolutely i mean again just because it's popular and oftentimes in the investment world when by the time it's become popular it's it's probably not the best investment anymore like if you know, we used to use the old expression when you get in a cab and a cab driver asks you what you think about the price of oil that's probably not the best time to be taken a position i mean that's not scientific and there's a whole bunch more that goes into it but it's a leading indicator that maybe things have gotten a little bit frothy for sure yeah
1: yeah it uh, reminds me of a story that was on a podcast another podcast that I was listening to a few months ago and the guy was sitting at his computer he had a uh, general contractor in his house doing a little bit of work on on a couple things He was sitting at his computer looking at uh, looking at some some charts and everything he's a financial guy and I guess the uh, contractor peeked over at his screen looked at it and said you do stocks so that's exactly what you're talking about right now so the other thing I want to mention, is I worked for a discount brokerage, an online brokerage in the past. Now, this is before the days of, of zero commission uh, stock trading. And zero commission stock trading, again, this is a good thing, generally speaking, for people. Because if you can buy something for free and you're making prudent decisions with that, then that's great. You, you just reduce your cost and and then in in turn increase your after after cost rate of return. The key point there is if you're making prudent decisions. When I worked for the online brokerage, our revenue was generating based off of making people trade more. We had clients that traded a hundred, hundreds or thousands of times per quarter. Every quarter they traded hundreds or thousands of times. And were these people making money? What do you think,
0: Colin? Well, you know, I I don't want to spoil the ending, but uh, maybe no.
1: Yeah, and I shouldn't say they weren't making money, but were they making as much money as they could have just by buying the market? No, the answer is no, right? And and so it's generally thought that all of this activity is not really leading to better financial outcomes for people, even if you reduce the cost of their trades to zero. And us as an online brokerage, just like these other zero commission online brokerages out there, they get paid by making you trade. You've talked about this before. They get paid by making you trade. So what do they think? What do you think they want you to do? They want you to trade. They don't care if those trades are profitable for you as much.
0: Well, the other the other thing, the other analogy that I, I have, and it fits and it doesn't fit, but it, there's there's some value in this. If you consider, you know, playing poker online. I've done it. I like playing poker a little bit. I find it entertaining. But you know, there's a couple of things about playing online poker. Number one, the house is going to get paid and they should. They're providing a service. They're going to get paid. So, that's a little bit of friction in the conversation. Number two, I'm walking around in a pool with some people who really know what they're doing. I'm a hobbyist. I mean, they're having a good time. For me to somehow convince myself that I'm going to become a professional card player, and this is how I'm going to make my living, no. So, again, you know, the, the investment world is filled with really sophisticated investors, really sophisticated sophisticated pools of capital with huge computer systems, there's trillions of dollars at play. There are a lot of sharks swimming around that pool. And if you think you're going to wander in on the weekend and you know place a couple of trades and somehow beat the system, you may get lucky for a little bit. But man, are the cards stacked against you to think that you're going to constantly do well, break even in that game over an extended period of time. It just is not likely. So again, you know, depending on what role this has to play for you, if you're counting on, hey, look, this is all the money I have in the world and I need it to be here for me to, to pay for my retirement, you know what? I'm going to say you need professional advice to make sure you don't make any big mistakes. If you got a few thousand bucks that you're playing with on the side that you like, you know, it's very entertaining for you, then, you know what? Zero zero commission trading is fine. You know, using the online tools is fine. I hope you get a rush from it. Just don't get so wound up that you think you're really, really good and you're going to take all your money and double it this year because... The roadside is littered with bodies, so people have tried to do stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Josh, what are the stakes? What's uh, that?
1: that? <laughs> what What are the stakes, right? Is it a dollar yeah. game that you're playing on on Poker Stars, or are you playing ten thousand bucks a hand? You know, the stakes are different. And well, uh, yeah, what one yeah. of them's life or death? The other one is, you know, maybe you don't buy your coffee tomorrow morning, so not a big deal.
0: Well, the, the other thing that well Simple's got out there, Josh, is uh, I think is even more entertaining. I, for whatever reason, I haven't clicked on the right button. So, this hasn't come across my newsfeed. So, this is great. You and I have got you know, different things hitting our newsfeed. So, why, why don't you tell our listeners about uh, the other thing that they've got out there?
1: Yeah, the, the tax software where they help you file your own taxes. So, I saw this on the Super Bowl, ads on the Super Bowl, right? So, in case you were wondering if Wealth Simple is making money or not off of what you're doing, they have ads on the Super Bowl. right? So, they're making money, they're doing okay. So their tagline, I just about fell off my chair and could have been because I had a couple beers in me, but just about fell off my chair when I saw the, the, the tax uh, the tax software pop up uh, as a commercial and the headline was, anyone can do their own taxes. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't do my own taxes. You don't do your own taxes. How could any? I've been in this business for 10 years and I can't do my own taxes my tax situation is not super complicated. It's a little bit more complicated than the average person, but it's not super complicated. I can't do it, you can't do it. So how can anyone can do their own taxes?
0: Well, well Josh, at this point, I want to intervene and say that the reason that Josh and I don't do our own tax returns is within our team, we have specialists who do that. So through White Law Wealth Inc., we've got people on our team who are certified to do tax work. I'm smart enough to know that I'm not smart enough to stay up to date with everything i need to stay up to date with to, to adequately do that so josh and i when he told me the story i thought he was kidding i didn't think anybody would be so bold as to go out there and tell all of canadians you guys can all do your own taxes They go, oh that's funny but no seriously they said it what again it sets an expectation that in our opinion just isn't realistic and again all of our biases and everything else you know but you know the number of tax returns that we've we've had come to our group that have ended up with major mistakes that have involved quite a bit of work to go back and redo and listen to be perfectly honest and perfectly you know transparent as we have promised to be, professionals make mistakes. we've made mistakes. we've seen some of the biggest accounting firms in Canada make mistakes. The likelihood of a major mistake when you use a professional is radically lower and Having a professional do it means that the professional can fix it. There's a lot of things with regards to filing your taxes that are fixable. But the other thing I hate about this, Josh, is it makes people feel bad or inadequate. You know, I'm secure enough in my humanness that I don't feel inadequate that I can't do my taxes. But if my only exposure is an ad on the Super Bowl going, well, everybody who watches the Super Bowl is qualified to do their own taxes and I'm not, I must suck that's terrible yeah it's it's pretty i think it that
1: borders borderlines on irresponsible that 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 tagline in my opinion which that that type of thing really bothers us i know when when we see sort of that stamp on the financial business something that that we feel is irresponsible and, and you kind of hit it on the head right like everybody's going to make mistakes sometimes but the probability of of you an individual who doesn't have a tax background making a mistake versus some professional accountant that does hundreds or thousands of tax returns a year making a mistake you know, vastly different. And the other thing is you have some recourse if a professional makes a mistake. Any reasonable professional that makes a mistake on your tax return, they're either going to compensate you for it or they're going to fix it. And if you make that mistake on your own, well, you're SOL, as they say.
0: Well, yeah. The other thing to recognize is that you can be really, really smart in your taxes five years ago. Like you, you really spent some time five years ago, and you nailed it. And but you haven't had time to, since to keep up with this, so you kind of kept going with what you knew from five years ago. Guess what? They change every year. So the chances of you missing a significant change and going offside are pretty high. I went through this with a client actually very recently. Had a conversation because they had a little bit of an influx of cash come in. And we're having a chat about what they're going to do with it. And they said, well, we're going to put it against the car loan. I said, well, is the loan worth as much as the car? No, the car is worth more than the loan. I said, okay, you got it under control. What's your interest rate? Well, it's 1.5%. Oh, it might not make a lot of sense to pay that down. Well, you told me that car loans are bad. It's like, I told you that 15 years ago when car loans were 9%. You know, it's changed. <laughs> you know, stuff. It's the stuff you knew for sure that you were right on, that somebody smart said to you 15 years ago, may or may not be relevant today stuff changes which is why a professional whose job it is to stay up to date and current on things even if you were right 5 years ago or 10 years ago may not be right today and it, it's worthwhile having somebody look over your shoulder but josh we've teased the idea that there's 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 some benefit in the do it yourself movement and we've alluded to the fact that you know fixing a, a leaky toilet or attempting to fix a leaky toilet is within that realm. What are the other benefits that could be run out of the whole do-it-yourself kind of thinking?
1: I have one question before I get there and a beer is on the line for you. So I Uh think you'll be interested. So in 1917, the Income Tax Act was 3,999 words long, the whole Income Tax Act. (laughs) As of today, within 100,000, how many words do you think it is?
0: Oh, one point five million.
1: Okay, you're you're a little bit above where it actually is, but uh, the number's going back in, in in 2016. I actually don't know where it is today, but in 2016 it was over over a million words, about one million thirty thousand words. So, yeah, uh, I'm not qualified to keep up with those changes. You're not qualified to keep up with those changes. Hire a professional. So, w- sorry, what was your question now?
0: I was wondering if we could give some people some indication on where the do-it-yourself movement can actually add value to somebody's life
1: yeah yeah so there have been to me some some benefits of the do-it-yourself movement and a lot of it is in cost right i think the cost thing you see when you see the the commissions going to zero on the do-it-yourself side that does have some spillover effects for other parts of the financial advice market. And I think in a lot of different areas, you've seen costs come down across the board for a variety of different things, uh, whether it's do-it-yourself or for professional advice. So I, I think that's sort of a spillover over benefit for um, the financial business as a whole, the financial industry as a whole, and individuals' ability to get access to that. Access, I think, is a huge thing as well because uh, I believe things are more accessible today than they ever have been. And like just if you go back to like the 80s when the online brokerage business was blowing up, well that really drove the online access part of things and that drove doing things by email and that drove efficiency for the financial business as a whole because these online brokerages were innovating and forcing all other areas of the financial services uh, industry or sector to innovate as well alongside to k- kind of keep pace with some of the technological change there. So this sort of disruption, this sort of push for do-it-yourself is, is a good thing. It does have some benefits. It's just you got to be a little bit selective in, in where you use it. So I think we talked about it a bunch of times already today. You don't want to be betting your house on this type of thing. If it's a life or death matter, then you know, maybe walk away from the do-it-yourself thing and get some professional advice. Uh, If it's, you know, like you said, you're you're playing with your lunch money for the week, then maybe not not as big of a deal.
0: Yeah, the the other thing I would say is that some of the information that you can pick up when you go down the do-it-yourself route can inform you to be a better consumer of advice, right? So if you spend some time familiarizing yourself with stock markets and stocks in general, and understanding the risks and some of that in the space, you should be in a better spot to talk with a professional and understand what's being explained to you. Now, that doesn't mean you walk into the professional and say, hey, listen, I really like you know, this particular company. I want to invest in this particular sector. You know, That's not going to get you much further ahead. But when you walk in and begin to talk with the professional and they begin to describe what they're doing, it should sound a little bit more familiar to you. You you should understand the idea of investing in a sector, or you should understand the idea of diversification. Some of the language is going to get a little bit more understandable and prepare you for that conversation a little bit. We've talked before about knowing when you're getting good advice, because, again, this is the other wild card. Are you going to be getting good advice? But if you've prepared yourself by going down the do-it-yourself route, whether it was a do-it-yourself will kit that you completed on your own before you went and talked to a lawyer, right? Notice what I said there. You complete the will kit on your own because you'll learn from that and use that information to go become a better consumer of professional advice. Right. So, you know, you, one can lead into the other. And perhaps in the process, you understand yourself better, you understand the language better, and it puts you in a better spot to talk with a financial professional. Because again, you know, there's, there's good advice out there and bad advice. We're not saying for a second, everybody out there gives good advice. You'd be better talking to any professional advisor. But The do-it-yourself movement, if you will, to Josh's point, has made everything more efficient and pushed the rock up the hill with regards to making everything more efficient. Absolutely. The other side of it is the amount of knowledge that's out there. We're having far more informed clients come through our doors right now, and that makes our job easier. Because if somebody understands a little bit more, then we can start on chapter two or three of the book rather than having to start on chapter one.
1: Right. Yeah, that's a, a really good point there. So you also mentioned the online will creation tools, which is another sort of part of the do it yourself movement. And we we vetted one, I guess it was about six months ago now, we kind of did a deep dive on it. It actually turned out to be pretty good. Like this is this is a good service for somebody that needs a really simple basic will, doesn't really feel the need to, to go and sit down with a lawyer. But again, it's, it's not a replacement for a professional. And I'll just use the example of myself. I sat down with a lawyer a couple of years ago to, to put my will together and she said, well, have you considered a secondary will? And I hadn't considered a secondary will. I didn't know what the benefit of that was for me. Again, somebody in the professional, in the financial services profession, uh, and I wasn't aware of what, what pros or cons would exist for me for that. So the cost of that lawyer, maybe above and beyond this online will creation, uh, creation tool was, justified 10 times over by that one simple suggestion, ignoring everything else that we did throughout that process. So again, that, that's where those those little tidbits, those little, um, you know, I, I guess I would say, you, you don't know what you don't know. And that's one of those things that I, I didn't even know the question to ask. And it was sort of the probing questions by that professional that, that got me there.
0: Well, and, and that's just it. I mean, when you walk in to talk to a professional, you know they're going to ask questions to to look under rocks maybe you didn't look under and sometimes you walk out of that and they didn't find anything you actually had it nailed congratulations you had a good day now to construe that as to i never need professional advice again oh easy there tex you know just don't don't take all your winnings off the table and go to the next table you know it's there's there's some value in in them their words that person just used with you You so absolutely
1: Sorry to of cut you off, Colin, I know you have some recommendations or suggestions for what somebody should be looking for to identify that good advice, like what are the qualities or traits that you can look for when, when walking into the door, doing your, your online research that identify what's good and what's bad, professional advice specifically?
0: Well, let me, again, we, we've put other collateral out on this, so I'll summarize a, a couple of key points that you know are, are pretty easy to apply. Um, you know, people will go with referrals, and again, that's a good, not, not a bad starting point. If somebody's willing to say something good about a professional, that's not a slam dunk, but that's better than not. Online, they, they, you know, most you know, professional advisors now will have a solid online presence where you'll be able to see a little bit about their philosophy and what they do, and those kinds of things. But then again, it gets down to a gut feel. If you walk in to meet somebody for the first time, And they start talking about the perfect investment for your TFSA, listen politely and the first opportunity, turn around and walk out. Because if somebody is going to start the conversation with a product or start the the conversation with trying to convince you to do something before they've taken the opportunity to ask any questions of you, that's a salesperson. You're not getting professional financial advice and that goes with anything that you get involved. You walk into a car dealership You know you're talking to a car salesman. They're going to try to sell you a truck because you know what? He's got a truck. He's going to. You understand that a little bit more. But sometimes it's a little bit more difficult in the financial world because we're dealing with intangibles. Somebody starts, you know, has a product or a type of account or something that they think is important. If they start talking to you about that before they ask any questions, run. That's that. That person is not helping you. The other thing you can do in getting good financial advice is make sure that there's a fit. Like if you're an investor who's just starting out and you know you've got some very basic questions, basic needs, you've got a modest account size, you know, you're not likely to get, you know, the attention of one of the major brokerages where they have a minimum account size of $500,000. I mean, that's that's just but that's in the research you can figure out, you know, before you walk through the door whether you think you're a possible fit for the person that you're talking to. You know, but again, it's it's a gut feel, some of it. Uh, credentials can matter. There's some good credentialed people who do great work. There's people with credentials who do not so great work. But again, somebody who's got credentials has put some effort in. Like, they just didn't show up at the table and looking for the path of least resistance. They've at least put some effort in to get where they are. So, it's a bit of an indicator of the quality of the professional you're talking to. Second opinion. Is always good if you're if you're shopping. Talk to more than one place and see, and try to find different places, you know, to see if you can get uh, a different opinion and a di- better feel. The other thing I tell people: if you walk through the door and the sign over the door is the same as the the, the what, what's on the business card, which is the exact same as the product, you're not getting truly independent advice at that moment. Because again, if all those things match up and it's all one logo then there's a good chance that you're in a place where you're going to get recommended one company's solution to your problem. Uh, And again, it's not necessarily poison, but it's not as strong as it could be. Did I miss anything, Josh?
1: No, I I think the last point there, just to to clarify or or to make sure I understand you correctly, is you want sort of conflict-free or impartial advice from that, that professional, right? And, if the only thing that that professional can provide to you in terms of a solution or product is something that is branded by their company or administered by their company, then you you may not be getting that, that conflict-free type of advice because they're sort of hamstrung into, into one corner and can't look uh, look elsewhere. So, you know, we've prided ourselves in being able to provide solutions from a number of different providers right across the board. and really work on getting as much flexibility as we can possibly have in terms in terms of our our investment offering and our financial offering for our clients. And we feel that that's really important for, for those reasons that you articulate.
0: Well, no, and like I said, it's not it doesn't necessarily mean that it's poison, but it's, it's not as maybe strong as it could be. And again, not to pick on our good friends at Sun Life, but Sun Life does have a sales force that is Sun Life branded. So if you walk into a Sun Life office, talking to a Sun Life advisor, you're going to get a Sun Life solution. And again, that doesn't make it terrible or poison, but it maybe is not as strong as it could be if that same professional you were talking to has a pick of a number of companies to work with. So again, it's just something to be to, to, to put the odds in your favor when you do something like this.
1: All right. So we've covered a lot of ground today, Colin. Do it yourself can be used effectively in in really small doses, I think is is kind of the way that we would sum everything up. But at some point, somewhere along the way, you're going to want that professional advice. I would go back on on that list of things that you provide, Colin, kind of towards the end of the podcast and and highlighting uh, the sort of identifiers or traits that you want to look for in finding a good professional. And also, referrals not a bad a bad place to start. So, uh, do it yourself. We're not disparaging it. There can be, and there have been some good things that have come out of it. But for the most part, you don't want to to sort of bet your bet your farm on it, as they say.
0: Well, Josh, again, as we open the podcast with, you know, we have a bias towards advice because we think advice is better. But my question is, is it a bias if you're right? So in our opinion, professional advice is the way to go. And uh, we look forward to chatting with everybody again soon on our next podcast. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a Portfolio Manager for IA Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the Portfolio Manager only, and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth Inc. iPrivate Wealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. iPrivate Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Wealth Inc.
1: operates.